The following is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. More teaching like this can be found at graceteaching.net or searching Grace-Oriented Teaching wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here is our speaker. And while Satan has usurped authority over this world at this time, um, it's all according to your plan. And uh, you will, Christ will come soon. It can be at any moment. It can be today. And uh, these things will pass. So, Father, as we come to your word today, Father, we ask that we'd come with open ears, open hearts, open eyes, that we might see your word, that we might know your word, that we might understand your word, and that uh, understanding these things, we would utilize it, and uh, we would be doers of the word, not hearers only, and that through these things we would be transformed and that uh, you would get the glory. We thank you for these things, Father. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and mercy to us. And we ask that through reading your word and and, uh, thinking about it and implementing it as it instructs us to do, that uh, we would be able to reap the promises that you have uh, put in it, that we can be changed from the inside out. And so, Father, we thank you for these things. Amen. All right. We've been doing our study on positional truth through the New Testament, really pointing out how it's not just a few statements. This is not just kind of a sideline truth that only pastors and Bible students learn in seminary. It is truth that is to be um, utilized by every believer. Anybody that the New Testament is to should be utilizing this. In fact, if you want to live the Christian life, it's essential. It's critical. It is a game changer. The Christian life without positional truth is really impossible to implement. How do you, without positional truth, the Christian is on a bridge to nowhere. You ever heard of the bridge to nowhere? It's usually in the realm of political thought. You like uh, the people, they got to, they're going to keep getting money. This is like the speed train in California. Anybody know about anything about that? They they say, oh, this is going to cost a couple billion dollars. You know, they they pass funding for it. And now they've spent like a couple, 200, 300 billion and there's no end in sight and it doesn't do anything it doesn't do what was promised it doesn't go anywhere it's just a big slush fund for somebody to corrupt you know jesus come quickly that's uh, tim had one answer earlier today uh this isn't our world this is not my home we're just passing through right uh it's the world system we're citizens of the heaven another good response when people are getting down because the world is jesus come soon jesus come quickly we're ready and it can happen any day, any moment. The world's been getting worse since the time of Paul, just as it was prophesied in a general sense. But there is no, the next event in God's pre-written history is the rapture. And all the unrighteousness of this world that we, not only in the world, but what we deal with because we're sinful beings, will be over with. And we'll see Christ and we'll be like him. And there'll be no more struggling with the sin nature. We will be like Christ, and that will be a wonderful thing, won't it? 
We'll go through the Bama seat judgment. Anything worthless then that we thought had good motives will be gone, and only things rewarded will be left, and we'll be thankful for that. It's a not a time to dread. It's a time to look forward to. So with that said, coming back to this concept of positional truth being essential to living the Christian life, I just want to, by way of introduction, reiterate what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4. Anybody that... This is actually a really good place to start for this doctrine because people will say stuff like, oh, positional truth, that's pie in the sky. I've heard about that. Oh, there's a guy over there in Colorado that talked about it. He had these little papers called the green letters. And there was that guy from Dallas Seminary that talked about the riches in Christ. And they, they talked a little bit about it. But, you know, that's pie in the sky theology. That's just for those really heady types, those people looking for deeper truth. You know, like it's something special. No, it's not deeper truth. It's essential truth for every Christian. It's not some like, it's like, you know, when you go to uh, high school and you, okay, everybody needs basic math. Everybody needs algebra, but you get to trigonometry and calculus. That's only for those that are going to be some specialized area, right? Or somebody that wants to brag about how smart they are, right? No, that's not what positional truth is. Positional truth is not analogous to trigonometry or calculus. It is basic. Every one of us needs it. It's for all of us. Okay? And this is a good verse to see this in 1 Corinthians 4. Paul doesn't say, I only teach this to those who have proven that they're serious. I only teach this to the ones that learn the secret handshake and the special language. Right? First, you know, you go, huh, huh. You bump your shoulder, you turn in a circle, and you say mahalo. You know? Oh my It's thank you in Hawaiian. <laughs> Mahalo, for those that don't know, is thank you in Hawaiian. Okay. Mahalo. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? Uh, Aloha. No. Oni grind. Delicious food. Um, so, yes. Anyways, we're way off. 1 Corinthians 4. This is for everybody. And this verse states this. For verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 4. Though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ. He's being sarcastic when he says this. Yet have ye not many fathers. Paul's saying, I was the one that shared the gospel with you. All those instructors, they're not the ones that shared the gospel. Who shared the gospel with you? I did. I, Paul, did. And I am your spiritual father. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye imitators of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved child and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of 
my self-help instructional manual that you're going to do that you can get down at the local Christian bookstore. Is that what it says here? No. He doesn't say the self-help manual. He doesn't say that it's going to, this, this Mosaic Law, the sequel. Is, is that what he says here? The way to the promised land through self-effort. Is that what it says? The metaphorical way to stop being the prodigal son. Is that what it says? No. It says, He will bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. Because I only teach this in the best churches. That's not what it says. He says he taught this everywhere. In every church. That is not an exaggeration. It's, he taught this in every church because it was so essential. And we've been seeing this as we've gone through the New Testament. And you know what? This isn't new information with Paul. Positional truth is not... There's elements of positional truth that were new from Paul, but it did not begin with Paul. Turn to John 15. It is an expansion of truth that the Lord Jesus Christ shared in the upper room that would be new institution, new information for the church that he laid down the foundation for. He laid the seed. John 15. John 15. And here you have the bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And this is critical to positional truth. I am the true vine, verse 1, and my father is the farmer. He is the Georgas. George means farmer. Did you know that? George. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. Okay. He does pruning. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleanses it. Okay. So there's, if, if a f- branch does not bear fruit, the farmer takes the branch. Okay. If it bears fruit, he cleanses it. It says he purges it, but it's the idea of cleansing. You ever seen uh, uh, the, I don't know what it is, what they do. I don't, I'm not an orchardist. I'm not going to print in. Gordon could probably tell you more about this. But sometimes you, you take a solution and you might clean something. Maybe there's a, something on it that's hindering the bush. You, you, you determine, hey, it's not, not bearing fruit because it can't bear fruit. It's not bearing fruit because there's something hindering it. So maybe you go in there and you wash it down and get some fungus off it. Get something that's a hindrance to it. It wants to produce, but it's not producing. There's some hindrance. And the farmer can come in and do some work. And he does it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. So, there's a very clear statement. Abide in me, so you can bear fruit. If you don't abide in me, you will bear no fruit. Everybody see that there in that verse? So what's that say about 
positional truth. It's critical, just like I said, just like we introduced. It's critical, it's essential. Without it, you're on a bridge to nowhere. Without it, you are a branch that's going to get taken. Right? I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. So we come back to 1 Corinthians 14 or 4. When Paul says this, this is an expansion of what Christ said in 15. 1 Corinthians 4, we read in verse 17, For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved child and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. My ways which be in Christ. The word way, the word way is the word for a road. It's a path. Okay. Is that me? Oh, yeah. It's a path. Paul had a path. What was his path? In Christ. His ways which be in Christ. He had a way of living that was in Christ. Now, once we understand what what is positional truth, is it down here or is it up in heaven? It's in heaven. But I'm down here. So what does this have everything to do with? Your thought life, doesn't it? Has everything to do with your thoughts. If you lose your mind, you cannot live the Christian life. If you lose the this is where the battle is won and lost, is right here. In your mind. Okay. <clears throat> garbage in, garbage out. You're not gonna get good behavior from bad input. Let's go to Corinthians, Colossians, and that's where we're at. That's all introductory for where we're at in Colossians. So we've been in Colossians chapter 3. Really kind of the, I don't know, this is kind of the heart of positional truth right here. Without Colossians 3, you'd be really be, have a hard time explaining some of the, the key things about position. You just have a lot of facts through the New Testament. But Colossians 3 kind of puts together what you're to do with it. All right? It tells you in verse 1, Since ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your reflective thinking on things above, not on things in the earth. You are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Your life is hid. How many of us live this life down here, and we have eternal life, but we don't live it. We're all guilty of that. Every one of us. Yeah, but it takes an effort. It takes obedience to God's word and following God's provision. Over in John 15, what are you to do? You're to abide in Christ. You gotta, you, if you want to bear fruit, you, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What does that mean? What does it mean, hidden? It's hidden. You can't find it. Okay. Oh. It's 
you hidden, let's go back to chapter 2. Is this the world can't see it or you can't see it? Both. It's hidden in Christ. So we let's come over to Colossians 2 and we read in verse 2 that your hearts might be comforted being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God even of the Father and of the Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay. They're hid. So the unaided human being down here on earth, the unsaved, can't find this. They can't find this in a, a book at college. They can't find it in a book on theology. They can read all about it. But they will not find this knowledge, this wisdom. Okay? Because they don't have the resources. They don't have a position in Christ. They don't have an indwelling Holy Spirit. They don't have an indwelling Christ. They don't have an indwelling Father. They don't have the standing. They're not baptized in the... They don't have what it takes. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. And the Christian, while we have eternal life down here, we don't experience it apart from living in Christ. You have to live in your resurrected life in Christ to be able to utilize that same life that's lived out in etern as eternal life down here. It's hid from you. You have to do something actively. What do you have to do? Colossians 3 is going to tell you. You have to seek. You know what seeking is? It's going to find something. You have to go find something. It's hid. How do you go find that life? Hide and seek. Hide and seek. It's hidden. I mean, what, who doesn't like a, game of, a good game of hide and seek? Or even uh, better, uh, anybody ever played sardines? Anybody know sardines? That's always a fun one. You know? It go, you, it, does everybody, some people are lost. What is sardines? It's when maybe one person goes hides, and when people find them, they hide with them. You have to be quiet. So it's sardines because you're in a tight spot maybe, and everybody else is starting to pile in there. Everybody's in the same spot. That's kind of a better idea of the Christian life. We should all be living in Christ. We're all in Christ, and we all need to get there and live that life together. Right? What if I add, like in 2.6, he says, so walk in him. And then in verse 8, he says, watch that nobody leads you astray or takes you captive through philosophy. I just think that's an example of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That believers can start chasing that thinking, that's how I'm going to discover it. But it's hidden. If that's where you're looking, you're never going to find it. Human wisdom is not going to get you to the life of Christ. Human wisdom is not going to, you know, you can go through all kinds of religions in the world, many of them Christian, and they'll tell you how to live, be a kinder person. They'll tell you how to be a more loving person. They'll tell you how to be more of a servant in your life. But it's all human effort. We're talking about a life where God empowers you. A true living out of God's life. Not control, but access to otherworldly attributes, divine attributes being lived out through you. That is Christ's life and the Father's nature being lived out through you. you have act every Christian has access to that. Not every Christian is utilizing it. 
they're they're carnal, they're not spiritual mm -hmm. at the moment. Okay. So um, this hidden in Christ idea is hidden to that belief. Yes, at that moment it's impossible. Yeah. It's hidden. So they don't they're living actually separated from their resurrection life and they're living in a realm of death. And it's hidden from them until yeah. they Yeah, and it's right here in scripture. Yeah. Seek come back to it's chapter three. When you go to the room that it's hidden in. When it, you go move into the room that it's hidden in, it's no longer hidden to you. There you as go. As soon as you move out of that room, it's now hidden to you. That's it. So. Yep. Life. Life is hidden in the room. <laughs> go to that room. So let's come to Colossians. Let's all in our minds come to Colossians 3, 1. Since ye then be risen with Christ. So what's the key to finding this life? It's a logical progression. You're getting your mind right. Since you're risen with Christ. See, the person that's living carnally, they've gone away from this logical thinking. They've said, ah, I'm not really risen in Christ. I'm down here on earth. And I'm just a sinner down here, and I, I have no help. It's I got it. Yeah, it's an allegory. Yeah, I am. I'm in my mind. All I can do is my sin nature. Okay. Now they don't go through and think through all that, but I'm telling you, that's what's happened. Okay. Since ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things above. What is seeking? This is seek is like a word that has the idea, like going on a treasure hunt. What's hidden when, it, when, it, when the 49ers come out and from all over the world to go to California in 1849? What were they going to seek? Gold. Did they make effort? Yes. Did they get provisioned out? Yes. Did they travel great distances for that adventure? Yes. Did they put their lives on the line to do? Yes. Okay. What value do you put on the destination. What value do you put on that treasure? Okay. Some of us, we put more value on, and we're all, again, we're all, I'm saying this to all of us. Every, none, no, I, I haven't seen Christ yet, so I'm pretty sure everybody here still sins, right? We, when we fail, we're not putting value on the life that we've been given. We're not putting value on that life in Christ that's hidden to us. We're saying, oh, my human life down here, my sinful life is more important than Christ. Right? That's why it says, when you endure temptation, it is loving the Lord. You know that? James 1.12 the one that endures temptation is loving the Lord. You say, well, no, he's, aren't you loving other believers? Yeah, that's true too. But first, you're loving the Lord. And it might be a, a wrong priority if you put anything else there. Okay, say that again. About the uh, persevering under trial, basically, in that... Not trial, well, temptation. Temptation. When you, what did that have to do with love? When you endure temptation, you should be doing it because you love the Lord. You're giving up your 
desire, whatever the temptation is, whatever the lust is, for the Lord. Not for any other reason. It should be priority for the Lord. He died for my sins. He was buried. He rose again. He owns me. He owns me. I am not my own. I belong to him. Okay? That's a big, you know, and when you truly endure temptation, only the spiritual can endure temptation. Just because you're tempted does not make you carnal. You need to get your mind right so that you can endure temptation. Colossians 3. Seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your reflective thinking on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, a lot of people take this completely wrong and they think, oh, I just need to be heavenly. I just need, I can't think about people down here. I can't think, I can't think about my job. I can't think about, uh, I can't think, I can't do anything. I'm just going to lock myself up like a monk, right? Because that's what spiritual people do. They just think on heavenly things. So heavenly minded, you're no good. Yes. But that's not the picture that's painted. Did Paul do that? Or did we see somebody that's extremely active going all over the empire? putting himself in dangerous situations. Did he just lock himself in a room? Did John do that? Did Peter do that? Did any? No, none of them. They lived active lives in the world amongst all kinds of dangers. Okay? So that whole, it's just, that's, I, we shouldn't even have to deal with that. It's just absurd, the idea. This is talking about your deeper reflective thinking. This is the framework of how you see yourself and how everything, how you approach your whole life every day. How do you approach it? Do you approach it as yourself and just what it's all about me, 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 I, I, just like the Toby Keith theology. <laughs> it's all about me, 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 right? I think we all can relate to that. But this is how you see yourself, how you go about your day. And every one of us, whether, we light, whether we're conscious of it or not, we wake up in the morning and we decide how we're going to go about our day. We say, either you wake up and you jump out of bed and you go, how can God use me today? Right? Or you say, you get up and there's a billion, fill in the blank, right? Every one of us has probably a unique way, our own human nature personalizes these bodies and these souls and these spirit right we all have our you know if, if you have a spouse you're, you're you're like going okay i know a good day and i know a bad day and i know how they how each one presents right okay you could you're choosing that you're choosing that you're setting your mind you're setting your mind one way or another you're either setting it on the things of the earth your earthly desire and that's what this is talking it's not talking about just the world in general the earth in general is talking about your desires. Are you setting them to earthly things or are you setting them to heavenly things? That's what this is talking about. So, you're to set your reflective thinking on things above. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, for the carnal person, you're saying, you're, they, are they saying we're dead? Are they saying, oh, I'm dead? This is all about perspective, you guys. Because you're always dead and you're always alive. 
Well, that'll blow your mind, right? <laughs> it's just a matter of what are you dead to. If you're living in the sin nature, your sin nature is alive, and you're dead to who you are in Christ. You're not living it. Right? On the flip side, if you're living in Christ, you're alive to God, but you're not living your sin nature. He's trying to get your mind right here. He's telling these believers who he's never met before, and he's making sure they understand this is the methodology. This is how you unlock the ways in Christ. This is how you live. This isn't special truth that you're not going to get till I come to Colossae, you Colossian believers. This is so important. I'm going to give you this truth and I've never met you. That's how important this truth is. I don't even know of anything about you except for what I've heard from other second hand. It could be hearsay for all I know. But I want you to know this truth. Does that show how important this truth is? I think it does. I think it does. Verse 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And this shows you that the things on the earth are not just the world in general, but it's talking about your earthly desires, your sinful desires. These are all works of the flesh. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, which is literally passion. Passion is uh, something that you've done so many times it's become a bad habit and it's going to take pain to stop it. Bad lust, lacking in character lust, which is, I like this here because it shows that there's good lust. There's good desires. Every time you choose the bad desire, you're choosing to not do a good desire. You know that? You know, we realize Romans 7 says we have both. We have good and evil at the same time. And the unaided human nature will always fail, will always win over the new nature. Okay, The human nature, unaided, will always fail will always or succeed. I'm getting my perspectives all mixed up. Read Romans 7. It's confusing. I and you and I. And the un... Let me, let me get this right once, okay? The unaided human nature will always... Or sin nature. Let's just say sin nature. The sin nature will always be victorious over the new nature. The unaided new nature. There is a law of God after the inward man that must be followed for the new nature to have victory. This goes back to John 15, doesn't it? This goes back to our road, to, our bridge to nowhere. Positional truth, it's all just thoughts if we don't utilize it. You're on, without positional truth, you are on a bridge to nowhere. You have to implement it. You have to see. You have to. I can, notice what it says. Is, Seek the things above. Who's Paul talking to? The Colossians. The Ephesians aren't going to do it for you. The unsaved aren't going to do it for you. Your friends aren't going to do it for you. You have. If you want to reap the benefits from it, what do you have to do? It's no secret. There's nobody holding this back from you. Right? Covetousness, which is idolatry. 
know, we commented on these things last week. Um, these are all works of the flesh. And every one of them we are capable of doing. Every one of them. And, and the interesting thing on the next verse, for which things sake, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Now remember, the sons of disobedience is not all unsaved humanity. It is a select group of humanity that organizes the rest of humanity. It's a select group that Satan uses to lead astray the rest of humanity. And, and, the re and it's usually in religious areas. And that's, I find that interesting. Because they're all teaching moralistic, how to be good. But what's this saying? They're full of the sin nature. And the wrath of God is going to come upon them. But that's not true of the Christian. Even if the Christian is beset by these evil desires. It really is a, it's really, what's that say to you? Grace, right? The grace of God. The unsaved leaders in the world system, they're going to get the wrath of God because of their use of the sin nature. Here I am, I'm not seeking that life of God that's hidden in Christ when everything's been made available to me. And yet the wrath of God is not coming upon me. That should change your perspective, shouldn't it? That should be Titus too. The grace of God teaches me to live differently. And if it doesn't, it means I'm really not appreciating the grace of God. You should be so overwhelmed by the grace of God that out of appreciation, you want to follow his word. Right? As we keep reading, last week we came down to verse 10 and 11. And we saw this idea of the new man. Uh, these different, different places of standing, Greek or Jew, barbarian, Scythian, circumcision or uncertain, different places of status. And in Christ there are none. We're all one in Christ. Okay. Now coming down, we saw that when you come down to verse 12, it now instructs you, you got your mind where it should be. Now you have access to these attributes. Use them. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, the chosen of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, or yourselves, that are actually, or no, that is your, one another, forbearing one, one another and forgiving yourself or being gracious towards yourself. If any man have a complaint against any even as Christ dealt gracious with you so also do ye and above all these things put on love which is the bond of maturity and let the peace of God the peace of Christ literally rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of the Christ dwell in you richly. Now, here it's very important. If, we, if this had said, um, this word for dwell is um, a little different than, over in John 15 it is meno, 
abide in Christ. You guys remember that? Abide in Christ, abide in the vine. That's meno. That's the word meno. This is a little different. This is the word oiketo. So let it indwell. Let it dwell like a house. Let it indwell in you richly. Okay? Now, this is not exactly the same thing as John 15. It's actually different. It's not exactly the same. This is different. What is this talking about? Let the word of the Christ. The word of the Christ. Is this say the word Christ here? Some people think the name of Jesus. I'm not going to get this right, but I like to make myself a laughing stock. So let's go. Um, the name of Jesus is so beautiful. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is so beautiful. J-E-S-U-S. -S. You know, you, we've heard songs like this, right? Is that person that's singing that, are they all of a sudden just lug, beams of light coming out their eyes? And they're, they're, you know, all good things are coming out. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about our relationship as the body of Christ with Christ as the head. This is talking about the relationship of believers to one another with Christ as the head. All New Testament, Testament believers from Pentecost to the rapture united to Christ. Now, is that a hard truth? Is it, how does it mean to let that dwell in you richly? Are you a person that says... If you're a person that's like, I'm above these people, is that truth dwelling in you richly? If you're a person that says, if you're a person that says, what, what are you going to say? Oh, if you're a person that says, I'm above these people, this truth is not dwelling in you richly. If you're a person that says, I'm better than them. Or even I'm less. Yeah? I'm getting tied up on that richly. Richly. Okay. Let it dwell in you. Rich. Richly is the idea of resources to use. Okay. It's resources so it's like to use. a whole bunch of nuances and a bunch of, right? You, you got this spider web of things that could connect to it. Right? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Mm -hmm. So let the word of the Christ dwell in you richly. The idea is that it that that word of the Christ is a res, it's a valuable resource that is meant to benefit you. Okay, I'm gonna we're gonna expound on this and hopefully you understand what it's talking about. Now, there's some people this idea of the Christ. A lot of people don't understand it, but let's just make let's look at a few verses that actually prove that it's not talking about the person Jesus Christ. This is talking about an entity of all New Testament believers. There are people that do not get this. It's a crucial concept. It's not a minor thing. If somebody does not believe in the doctrine of the Christ, they're not going to understand some key passages that are critical. And you're not going to have the benefit of what this verse tells you about maturity and growth. Okay. So turn with me to... 
First of all, the, the key one is 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And this verse cannot be referring to Jesus the person. It's talking about an entity. It's talking about a group. It's talking about a diversity in a unity. So 1 Corinthians 12, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is, and in the Greek it says, the Christ. If this was just Christ the person, this verse would be nonsensical. It's not saying that Jesus Christ had a human body that had lots of parts. That's not what this is saying. It's talking about how the Christ, Christ is the head, all New Testament believers is the body, have, we all have different functions in that body, which the passage is about spiritual gifts, and all those different parts create a whole that each part is interdependent on other parts, and Christ is the one that directs that. Which goes along to the vine and the branches, doesn't it? It goes back to the vine and the branches. Christ is the vine and we are the branches. Without him, we can do nothing. We're just all in, all disconnected parts. Without him, we're all just disconnected parts. He puts it all together and causes us, he causes the nutrients and everything to work. See? Turn to Romans Turn to 1 Timothy 5 first. 1 Timothy 5. First Timothy 5. Now, tell, this is instruction given to Timothy in regard to a local assembly. Um, it's concerning the members of the church and then looking at them at different age groups and their different responsibilities. Um, as we come to verse 11, it says, But the younger widows, after having just talked about older widows, and I'm always amazed at the requirements that he puts in this passage in regard to the older widows. Very instructive to read. But then he comes to the younger widows, refuse. But the younger widows refuse. You don't take them onto the church rolls and provide for every need. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. And what does that mean? Does this saying that Christ was appearing in their midst? And they had this word for wax wanton is a sexual word. They will have sexual desires against Christ. Is that what that's saying? Wouldn't that kind of a wouldn't that be a weird interpretation? Number one, Christ isn't appearing in our in their midst. He's not appearing in the Ephesians church. And that's just an absurd idea, right? But actually what this is saying is they shall wax wanton against the Christ. Okay. Now you say, well, what's... So you're saying they're going to come to church and they're going to 
want to get married? What's wrong with that? That's a good thing. Shouldn't they, it says, to marry, remarry in the Lord. So what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. But the idea is their priority is off. They're not coming to be a part of the body of Christ to benefit other believers. They're coming to find a mark. So this is actually a very good passage to show that the term the Christ isn't talking about Christ the person. It's talking about all believers from Pentecost to the rapture. And in this context, the believers that are part of the body of Christ in that local assembly. Okay. Turn with me over to Romans 14. And read with me in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. That's kind of, I find this, I always like this passage because there's so many places. The Christian life is all about this and that and do's and don'ts and you can't, you can do this and that and everything else. But this tells you what, the kingdom of God is not what you eat and what you drink. but righteousness and peace and joy by the Holy Spirit. For he that in these things serves the Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. What's this talking about in the context? In the context here, it's talking about as you relate to other believers in your the things that you have freedom to do, but you might not, you might have the freedom to do something, but it might not be loving to do something. So you might forego your right out of love. That's something that love does. Love gives up the right for the best of others. And that's what this is, this is talking about here. You might have the right to eat whatever you want and the right to drink whatever you want, but it might not be best in the circumstance. I always like it since it's usually don't eat this and don't drink that. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes you should eat this and you should drink that in a circumstance. Okay, and we always think it's always the restrict. Sometimes it's you should. You always think about those missionaries that go to some place and they, they should eat those brains. They shouldn't reject that. <laughs> Peggy's like, um. They should eat that ludicrous. <laughs> Old Otto used to come into Ephrata every all the time. Old guy. And he was either Nor Norwegian or Sweden, I don't know, but he always wanted his lutefisk. I would get lutefisk in for him. Nasty stuff. But uh, yeah. Anyways, this is another passage, Romans 14, 18, that I think is a great place to show that Christ is not the person here. It is the body of Christ. It's all New Testament believers united to Christ. 
and our interdependence upon one another as we relate to our Lord, the head. The body is identified by the head, Christ. Christ is the head. It's called the Christ when he looks at the whole entity. All right. Now, as we've already seen, this is also called the new man. It's also called the new creation. So look back in Ephesians 2.15. Why are we looking at this? We're looking at this because we want to see how this, we're to let this dwell in us richly. What, it, what does it mean to let this dwell in you richly? You're going to seek the things above so you can find the life of God, not so you can live the life of God for yourself, but for you can direct those attributes to others. You're going to use those resources. You're not just going to have them. Anybody ever known somebody that was filthy rich that they just and they die? They take it with them? Do they take it with them? No. The government takes it all. <laughs> right? Yep. The government's going to get it. You better spend it before you die or give it or whatever. Because those resources are not going to be used the way you think. But in this life as believers, we have resources to the riches of heaven. And they're not physical, they're spiritual. And there's no budget. You, the more you use them, the more you don't lose them. <laughs> I think of that, what's that guy that was in the Old Testament and they, they, he was with his mom and they had the little uh, bread in the container. Was it Elisha? The, the food and the thing and they never ran out. What was it? The mother and son that were taking care of Elijah. Yeah. Okay. Boy, grocers don't want that. <laughs> we don't sell much if they if you get it. If it just magically appears. <laughs> but the point is this. We, it's not a bread. It's not something you eat and satisfies the stomach. This is something that satisfies the spiritual side of us. And it doesn't run out. It's always there because God is the one that provides it and He is faithful. But the question is, what do you want? Do you want the temporary satisfaction of the things you will not do in eternity future? Or do you want the long-lasting satisfaction of things that will abide into the future what value do you put on these things what value do you put on it okay. Ephesians 2 we read about this in the new man it says at one time in verse 12 you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were at one time far off are made near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished by his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to create in himself of the two one new man, so making peace. Now that 
is really theological, and sometimes we might not wrap our minds around this, but there is a lot of truth here that you should, if you break it all down, it is precious truth. Gentiles at one time were without hope, separated from God. The Jew was closer to God. But now God has made a situation where the Jew and the Gentile are closer than the Jews were. In Christ. In Christ. He's established a new relationship that all believers can have today. All believers do have today. And in there, there is, we're part of this new man. And there's peace. And there's access to God there. <coughs> this is part of why this is something that's to dwell in you richly. Because in Christ, in the new man, I have access to God. In the new man, I have access to God. In the old man, I only have the sin nature. But in the new man, I have access through Christ to the Heavenly Father. Look over in chapter 4 of Ephesians. And we have other verses, but we're going to have to finish here in this passage. Ephesians 4, let's start in verse 24. And that you put on the new man, who after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You have to put this on. You put it on, as we saw last week in Colossians, it says put on, you have put on the new man. That happens at salvation, you put it on. As far as you're standing, you're no longer in Adam going to hell. You're in Christ, destined for heaven. But in practice, we're to put it on. In our practice, how do you do that? Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above. Seek those things above in the heavenly. Put it on. Look back. In verse 22 that ye put off concerning the former conduct the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. See the lusts from the sin nature? They're deceitful. Have you ever had somebody that promised something that you're like, that's no promise at all! I don't want that! What you're promising me is crap! Has anybody had that happen before? They say a really good used car salesman can take a crappy car and you, at the end, you're thanking him that he's selling it to you. I'm so lucky to get this car that barely runs and might break down as soon as it gets off the lot. Thank you so much. Give me, here's my money. That's somebody that's been deceived, isn't it? But everybody, every one of us has been, we think, what an idiot! Why would you buy that dump? Why would you, why would you give them your heart? Don't you value your time? Don't you value that hard-earned cash that you worked hard for and you went and spent it on this hunk of junk? But every one of us has been guilty of that because we listen to the sin nature, don't we? It's deceitful. It doesn't say, 
with flashing neon lights. This will ruin your life if you do this. This will ruin your life. This will ruin your life. It's deceitful. And if you follow this concept through the New Testament, you can follow it. It's, it's deceitful, it's hurtful, and it brings ruination. You would think this is like the, you know, this is like, uh, how many of you women here, after about, I'm sure it happens sooner than this, but say you've been married 10 years and you start pulling out the crappy clothes that your husband uh, wore when he was in high school and he has sentimental uh, attachment to those old clothes and you start throwing them out. <laughs> we saw that too. <laughs> at first when you first get married the wife is kind of like tentative and she's like gosh. Jen had, there was a couple clothes I wore she said you dressed like in your brother's old clothes you were drowning in your clothes none of them fit you and I did I have some clothes that were hand-me-downs from Ben and obviously he's a bigger guy than me I'm just a wee man and uh, you know so she wouldn't throw them away and then pretty soon I hey Jen where did that shirt go my favorite shirt, and I don't see it here. I don't know where it went. Right? So she lied to you? Sorry. This is theoretical. This is for illustrative purposes. Things represented may or may not be actual. Um, but none of us. You know, this is what it is. We got a, sh a clothing and we have sentimental value to something that's holy, it's dirty, it's worn out. We look horrible in it. You look horrible. But yeah, we all know that sounds great. Put it on. Yeah. This feels amazing. Deceitful. See? It's deceitful. No, you don't look good. In fact, you look trashy, and you kind of stink. <laughs> you know? That thing hasn't been washed in a while. Right? This really takes a change of the perspective. You have to change your perspective. You have to say, yeah, you're right. I am married. And those clothes were back from my days when I... It was stupid. I was young. I was dumb. And yeah, they didn't fit me. And you, I had no sense of style. Whatever. You have to change. I'm married now. And now, yeah, I thought those clothes were cool at the time. But now I, I listen to my wife. She, she has a different sense of style. Right? And even if I don't like to wear tuxedos or, or whatever, however she like, whatever her style is, I'm going to dress that way out of care for her. You ever thought of that? Go back, Ephesians 4. What is it? Am I, am I making this up? Look at this passage. This is what it's talking about. Verse 8, wherefore he says, this is the risen Lord talking to Paul, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But he also descended first to the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. 
You know what? He's the one that directs the Holy Spirit to fill us. He is the head of the body. When we, when we go find our life in Christ, Christ as the head of the body directs the Holy Spirit. He does, the Holy Spirit does not speak of his own, out of his own things. That goes back to John 14 and 15 too. Christ is the one filling through the Holy Spirit. And he gave on the one hand apostles and on the other prophets and furthermore evangelists and moreover pastor even teachers for the equipping of the saints for a work of service for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a complete man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Uh, just to tie this together with the sin nature's deceitfulness. They use legalism usually, and that ties in with the sin nature. Keep reading. But truthing in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself by love. Is the doctrine of the Christ, is the word of the Christ something that's to dwell in you richly? Yes. Because when you realize you're just one part, you know, some, I always think it's funny. Uh, uh, what part is the pastor teacher gift? Maybe it's the mouth. Who knows? The scripture never aligns this metaphor to the parts, right? But maybe it's the mouth. Maybe the uh, the evangelist is the legs, maybe, because it's going out, you know? Don't write this down. None of it is scriptural. I'm just throwing this out for illustrative purposes. Okay? You got the, maybe the arms is the spiritual gift of helps that goes out and helps those that are weaker, right? Maybe the ministry is, I don't know, what? the hands because they're doing stuff that's all well and good but I think it's a little arrogant to say that over the how many parts can we come up with right there's only so many parts but there's been believers from Pentecost all the way to the rapture which hasn't happened yet how many believers have there been or is any one of us a whole part? No. No. We're just a part, a part, a part. A cell. A cell. It's a metaphor though, right? But all the different parts together are something. Any part by itself is really nothing. It's only together that it has any meaning. It's only together that it has any meaning, that it has any value, that it has any worth. So we're to let this dwell in us richly. The, and that comes down to this basic concept. Apart from other believers, I will not be all that God wants me to be. Without other believers, I will not be all that God wants me to be. Now, that does that mean that if I leave from here to another place that because I don't have you in my proximity that I'm not going to become all that God wants? No, there's other believers, right? 
I'm not an island unto myself. But there's believers all over this world. Right? It's letting this dwell in us richly, this doctrine that Christ is the head of a diversity of believers and we all have a service to perform and he is actively working in each one's life bringing what we need through other believers. Keep reading in Ephesians 4. And we're going to finish here. This We're just five minutes over. This I say therefore in testifying the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. Now is that possible for a Christian to do? To walk in the uselessness of their mind? Just like the unsaved? Yeah! <laughs> That's why he's saying this! Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling had given themselves over unto lewdness and to work all uncleanliness with greediness. That's the everyday life of the unsaved. That's the everyday life of the unsaved. But that can be true of Josh. That can be true of me if I don't follow scripture, if I don't listen to the ways of, of Paul in Christ if I don't abide in the vine okay that this can be true of me this can be square direct this could be Paul speaking directly to me okay Paul is talking to the Ephesians and they were engaged in this but ye and remember who are the Ephesians he had taught to them the whole counsel of God yeah, he has to tell them, don't walk like the other Gentiles. So they had learned a lot. But he's telling them this because it's a problem. But you have not so learned Christ. And I don't think this, it's really tempting to say this is the Christ because there is an article here. I don't think it is. I think it's talking about the previously mentioned Christ who's the head of the body that's mentioned up in verse 15. Technical detail. You have not so learned Christ. If so, be that ye have heard him. That's why I don't think it's because it's it has the personal pronoun here. If since so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Is this verse communicating? Have you ever heard those people? Gee, I heard him. I heard Jesus. <sighs> I can remember that day and I heard him say, Josh, <laughs> right? We've all heard people say things like this and it's not valid. Either they're crazy and you, when you've been Christian for a while, you've met a little bit of crazy, okay? You've met a little bit of crazy. But, or they have some experience that is maybe in their mind it's very real but it's they're not interpreting it according to scripture <laughs> okay this is not talking about actually hearing the audible voice of Christ this is talking about the Ephesians learning through members of the body of Christ and he's taking it directly to Christ 
You learned from Christ. You heard from Christ. But you didn't actually learn from Christ. You didn't actually hear the voice of Christ. You, as a part of the body of Christ, were ministered to by a spiritual gift that Christ sent upon his ascension on high when he gave gifts unto men, verse 8. And he gave these spiritual gifts for the equipping of the saints, verse 12, for, so that you can fulfill your work of ministry, so that the body can be edified, self-edified in love, as all of you participate and are used of Christ. Christ ministers through you. And as you minister out of the believers, it's not you, it's Christ ministering through you. Wow. How awesome is that? To go from the deepest depths and now we're being risen to the greatest heights. To be completely enslaved to the sin nature to the point where all we're undistinguishable from the unsaved to being living out who we are in Christ. How awesome is that? How full of hope is that? What a story of redemption that is, right? And that's all we can cover for today. We'll come back to this next week. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we just thank you, Father, that as we read your word, we're never, we never get tired of it. We always like to go back to this because it really is like looking in a mirror, and, and uh, so often we look in the mirror and all we see is who we are down here, but we know from Scripture that we're so much more than what we are down here. You have made us somebody different. You've given us a new identity. And we'll spend this whole life, Father, really contemplating those words, what it means to that Christ is in us and we are in Christ. We'll spend a lifetime contemplating that and learning to live that. And we ask, Father, for ourselves and others, but especially ourselves. And we don't say this in a selfish way. We, we, we ask, Father, that we'd be ones that would believe your word when it says that if we abide in the Son, we will bear fruit and we will bear much fruit. And we don't say this in a selfish way. We do this because we really want to be used of you. We want you to express yourself. And if we can be used of you, you get the glory. And so, Father, we thank you for these things. Amen.